The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Charlotte Cathro. And I am so excited to have you here, Charlotte. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. I feel like we've been crisscrossing each other for years and um, just having touch points here and there. But I've always admired you and the community and the work that you have done and are doing. So I can't wait to talk to you a little bit about what you do. Um, and for the folks at home that are listening that don't know what you do, can you explain what you do a little bit? Sure. So I am a CPA, a certified public accountant, um, but primarily for the cannabis industry, which is a new burgeoning industry for the Northeast. So you're and a cannabis pot accountant. I am. Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Um, for legal regulated businesses within New England. Yes. And so... Looking at your LinkedIn profile uh, before you came on, I saw that you've gone to school, you've done a lot of schooling, you've had some other um, CPA roles that are more, uh, you know, not institutional, but organized, more larger firms. Um, So how was that experience for you and and what made you go out on your own? Yeah, so I have to say I have a non-traditional CPA background. I came from not having an accounting degree in my undergraduate. I was a math major. I saw and that. Yeah, I was going to be big. a math teacher. Yeah, um, math. Went and taught in high school <laughs> and realized that teaching at that level was not really for me. I was also like 21 years old, and those students were very close to my age. I did not have a thick skin. I cared about what they thought of me, and what they thought of me was that I was not cool. So, <laughs> so. How are you not How cool? Could they, because you should <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, right. right. What? Kids are so mean, too. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's Ugh. math, so it's a challenging subject for a lot of people. Um, so that just was a, a, a negative experience for me at the time. I was looking for something else to do. And a friend said, hey, I'm an accountant and my job is very secure. I like what I do. I'm basically solving puzzles and doing math all day. Why don't you look for that? Um, and I ended up getting a job at a firm, a regional firm in Boston that really trained me on the job and provided a lot of opportunity for me. I quickly moved up to manager. They paid for me to go and get a master's degree in accounting so that I could sit for the CPA exam. Um, but I did have that kind of non-traditional background that it wasn't really what I expected my life to be like. Um, I then really did do the sort of traditional work for a public accounting firm, the one in Boston for almost 10 years, and then one here in Holyoke for five years. Um, what really motivated me to change that was um, I had my second child and really wanted more flexibility. And, you know, working for somebody else doesn't give you that. Um, and at that time, cannabis was starting to get more and more businesses opening up. Um, we were close to recreational use being uh, authorized in Massachusetts. At that time, it was just medical when I first got, it start, got started in it. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I could... I could bring this with me. It's not enough. I actually took a job as a educator at the time. I taught at Elms College um, full time and brought the accounting side was really going to be on the side. It very quickly was not on the side and it became two jobs. Um, So in 2020, I stopped teaching and really focused entirely on on this business. And did you start your accounting firm focused on cannabis? Was that always your sort of guiding light? Yes and no. Um, those are really the clients that I had brought on myself. I did have, you know, a couple individuals or so just people that I knew. 
um, some other small businesses just from um, networking and again, just connections. So really at this point, it's, I'm not entirely cannabis. I do have some other clientele. But almost. Almost. It's what probably, did you say it's probably website, at least like, like 95%. <laughs> and it's getting closer and closer. Yeah, you're like weeding out all of the ones that are. You're like, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Separating the seeds and stems. As yeah, exactly. Yes, correct. I mean, at this Sticky point, from the dry. it's a yeah. matter of establishing, like, if you're going to do something, go all in and make sure that you're providing value to your clients. Obviously, where I provide the biggest value is where I have experience. And I've been in the cannabis industry now since 2012. So it's been 10 years. And I have just picked up from the relationships that I have. You know, I know a lot of cultivators, a lot of retailers, and I see the sort of struggles that they're having. I understand the banking environment, the legal environment, the IRS situation. So that's where I can provide the most value for people. I certainly can do anybody's tax return, um, out of state, in state, you know, all of that is within my capability. But where I provide the most value is, you know, being able to to add to just that tax knowledge. It's not really only what I do. I answer all kinds of random questions for people <laughs> on the daily um, that just are, are industry related or, or, hey, let me run this by Charlotte. She's been in it for a while and she knows everybody and knows the players. Um, so that, that's really why I'm focusing on the cannabis industry. And it's also really fun. <laughs> Too bad there aren't any retail shops around here. I know, there's none. Say, we could talk about the fun in the third segment. Um, so are the majority of your clients based in Massachusetts, or are you getting phone calls from out of state? So the majority are definitely based in Massachusetts. I am um, also serving Maine. My family has a house up in Maine. I'm often up there. So I also just really like the market in Maine. It's very different than Massachusetts. So I once I took one, it was like, all right, well, I should take several so that, again, you get that base of knowledge to be able to share with your clients. And you can probably write off the travel back Yeah, there you go, right? The house. <laughs> I was up in Maine two weeks ago, and I visited two clients. Yes, exactly. I did. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm not going to mess. You You know more than I you know about that stuff. System. But yeah, exactly. I'm not going to hold you to any of that. But And then Vermont is coming online very soon for adults use. So that is also a market that I'm working with. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, are there many of you across the country that focus specifically on marijuana related businesses? There are more and more of us. Um, and, and definitely some sole practitioners like I am. There's some very large firms that are involved in the cannabis industry as well. It does, again, require that real investment. Um, whenever you do something new, this is a brand new industry. So it's a lot of it's kind of going as as we go, um, seeing it develop and um, determining, you know, and navigating a gray area when we don't have a lot of guidance. So if you're going to have one client, you should have 10, because you need to, to have that background knowledge, you need to read the regulations, and understand the environment around your clients. Um, you should not dabble in this industry. So yes, there's there are some of there are some of us. The AICPA just had their cannabis conference last week um, with all accountants across the country that are serving the cannabis industry. Um, and there are more and more. We have the Mass Society of CPAs has a cannabis industry roundtable as well. Um, so there are more of us. Accountants tend to be conservative. So uh, some of them were kind of waiting to see how it shakes out. And others were just straight up, absolutely not. We're not dealing with that because it is still still federally illegal. Yeah. 
I'm just trying to imagine the the cohort of you walking into the <laughs> to the more more large scale CPA meeting that's national, and you know you have your your cannabis CPAs over here, and then the other the the more regular ones are. I mean, are you feeling like a little bit separated or segregated from everyone, or have you been embraced by? I feel. At first, I definitely, when I first brought the idea of serving the cannabis industry to the firm that I was at at the time, um, there was a little bit of pushback. Like, should we be serving these clients? Like, isn't this sketchy? It's still federally illegal. Like, are we money laundering? Um, and, and so there was definitely some pushback there. And I've been asked, are you worried that people will judge you and this will, you know, become a mark on your career? Um, and, and frankly... Um, a hash mark. Come at me, bro. We can work in there. Um, I guess my attitude has just been like, you know, (laughs) if you're a professional and you do your job well, and I'm fairly conservative, to be honest. I'm not doing sketchy things on people's tax returns um, because I know that there is additional scrutiny in this area. Um, But frankly, I, I think it's better for this industry to have somebody who is qualified serving them. It's important and it's part of the safety of this going forward. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a come at me, bro, but um, I, I'm not worried that my industry is, is going to look poorly on me um, if, I, if I do a good job doing it. And in fact, um, I've just recently joined the board of the Mass Society of CPAs and they invited me to do so. So knowing that my industry organization is behind me and actually asking me to participate is huge. I have your um, newspaper article right here that's been traveling around with me since it was in the Gazette on Thursday, June 30th. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> It was meant to be. It's a big honor, right? Yes. To be no, it invited is really to huge. the board. There's only about 19 or 20 positions, board members there. That's that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, congratulations. I, I was honestly a little bit shocked, um, you know, and but I'm glad to be there as representation as well, because I think that's important for our industry. It probably has this um, kind of idea of being kind of a stodgy profession, you know, white guys with a calculator sitting behind their desk and being able to represent that that's not what we all do, I think, um, you know, serves us well. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Congratulations. We're already at our first break, so we need to take that. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm talking today with Charlotte Cathro, who is a CPA based in Florence, but serving Massachusetts and Maine and soon to be Vermont. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Charlotte Cathro from Cathro CPA. Cathro LLC. Cathro yeah. LLC. Um, thank you. And uh, Charlotte um, specializes in the cannabis industry, so currently about 95% of her clients are cannabis-related businesses and the poor five percent that are barely hanging on by a thread. I don't. I don't know. The the writing's I love on the all wall, maybe. my clients, Tara. <laughs> no, the other five percent is again. You know, people that I I just love and have worked with for a long time. Families, um, small businesses, women-owned businesses. All of those are are definitely within my wheelhouse, and I still provide a great service to them. 
Um, they just are not with it. And I, you know, I'm curious that if they know what the rest of my clientele are like. I think they do because yeah. it's not it's not a secret. If you Google me, it's there. Um, but yeah, they're all they're all amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was fun to Google you and to go to your website and just see like the the nature and get a vibe for you know what you do and how you do it. Um, and I think it's wonderful. So thank you for doing that. And also when I was looking at your um, LinkedIn profile, I saw this very cool um, uh, mention about a past work opportunity at XY. Yeah. Productions, maybe? <laughs> what is What was so XY this is Productions? Like the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, there was a Boston-based lifestyle television station called XYTV um, that really was based on like playing music videos, you know, again, sort of young lifestyle. They had, I believe they had kind of like a people living in a house type reality show. They had, <laughs> Sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, yeah. I know, they I'm were like, absolutely. Was this also called MTV? Yeah, a little derivative maybe. It didn't last, um, but it did get on over, you know, I think over a million homes at some point. It wow. was picked up by a couple of networks um, and then it unfortunately met its demise. Um, but it was really fun. I got an opportunity to do really whatever I wanted to do. I did some stupid stuff at first, like I was the one that read the horoscopes and did celebrity <laughs> gossip. <laughs> but then once I was able to establish what I wanted to do, they were kind of like, well, what do you want to be doing? And I got to talk to um, really the fashion industry in Boston and talk to retail stores and designers and the School of Fashion Design in Boston and um, have that as my sort of niche on the station, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great time. And the reason that I still keep that on LinkedIn is because I'm an accountant. <laughs> I think people think that you're like stodgy. So saying that, oh, look, I also did this other stuff. I feel like most people want to talk to you about the other stuff that you do because it makes you feel like, yeah, oh, this is a, you know, a, a real around person <laughs> with, with other interests other than like sitting behind their desk and doing puzzles and math. Well, that's kind of what I was, what kind of stood out to me when I was looking. I was like, oh, this is fun. And I was surprised that it was still there um, yeah. just because it didn't relate it, at all. It obviously is a long but, time ago, but, yeah. you know, and especially when you're writing a resume, you do want to seem like a real person, especially in the finance industry. And I've, I've advised students of this. Look like a real person. Show your interests um, because I know really they're looking for your quali qualifications and stuff like that. But they also want to see if you're a fit for their culture. And when you show, hey, I have other interests other than accounting, I think that kind of adds to your ability to be hired there. Um, you want to show that maybe you play a sport or you have a hobby or whatever it is. And I think that speaks to kind of like public speaking. I was on television, you know. I, I can talk to a human being and, you know. Um, I'm not a robot. Yes. I'm not a calculator. Yes. Isn't it true that Tara Brewster auditioned to be an MTV VJ? God. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, oh, you would have been great at that. Oh, my gosh. It was at the height of my um, crazy 20s, roaring 20s, I like to call them. And um, I went for it and drove to New York and... I didn't really, I've never been one who was hip with uh, like modern music and, and what's going on. So a lot of my conversations with them was not really specific to modern and, and hip um, singers and performers. So I think I kind of failed when I was talking about my love of classic country or 
um, you know, old time fifties and sixties rock and roll love songs. I think they were just like, who is this person? Cause <laughs> you can just go back to Northampton right now. But Aww. yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Well, and that's a missed opportunity uh, for clearly, them. Tara. Clearly. I know clearly, but I wasn't ready. Similar to, you know, I think you were speaking about the, the math class and the, the judgment and the not being ready and right. All of those things. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good. Thanks, Monty. Welcome. <laughs> But, um, yeah, you know, I just, I, I love also that you did the teaching thing. You know, I feel like that was something that you always wanted to do or that you wanted to do when you were younger. Um, how was it to go to Elms and teach? Um, I know you just referenced it in your advice about, um, being a well-rounded person, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed the teaching part of it. Um, that is something that I'm passionate about. I want to help others and, and it's amazing when you see that light bulb go off and you've explained it well. Um, it, that connection with students was fantastic. What didn't work for me was just the administration. I tend to be a real efficient person. I don't like having meetings about meetings and academia loves that. Um, mm. And so it was just not the right fit for me. I thought at that time, like, oh, this is going to be a great opportunity. All of my family are in academia. Um, everyone, I'm, a, I'm like the least educated with a master's degree in my family. My brother is a PhD. My parents are both PhDs and all faculty members at universities. So I thought, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll join the family business. <laughs> um, and I did love the teaching and I continue to do so through um, continuing education programs for accountants. Um, but I think that is probably my niche there where I will get that teaching opportunity is through advising staff and training people as well as through continuing education programs rather than at the, the college or high school level. And is it um, when you do the continuing education, is it uh, like a broad general continuing ed or is it industry specific to, to really where your where your niche is right now? I've done both. I've done sort of a basic accounting course for, usually it's for lawyers just because of the program director that I have. Um, and so I've done kind of a basic accounting for lawyers, a basic tax for lawyers, and then definitely very specific to the cannabis industry have done some programs, you know, uh, marijuana business law in Maine is one that's coming up at the end of this month. Um, I've done marijuana business law in Vermont, marijuana business law in Massachusetts, marijuana business law in Virginia. Um, so I have been doing both sort of industry stuff as well as just being, you know, general accounting. Again, I've, I've, educated people who are new to accounting, sort of the, the beginning in the, in the college level. So I'm, I'm very comfortable doing that as well. That's amazing. And so where are we at now with cannabis law in the state? Um, just in terms of, you know, what you're seeing, what you're recommending, where we're at right now in case people don't know or they haven't been following it. Yeah, um, we actually have some really exciting news. Governor Baker just signed a bill that has some sweeping changes to the cannabis regulations, one of which is Massachusetts just decoupled from Code Section 280E, which is an IRS code section and is really handcuffs on the cannabis industry. So a cannabis operator is not allowed to deduct most of their business expenses. They're allowed to deduct cost of goods sold only. So the cost of either creating their product if they're a manufacturer or a cultivator and the cost of acquiring their product if they are a retailer. That means the rest of their business expenses that don't relate to inventory, so things like 
legal fees, um, advertising, those are all not deductible by those companies when they would be deductible by any other industry. Um, and this is a carryover from the war on drugs from the 80s. And of course, you know, it is still federally illegal. This is a Schedule One drug. It is considered to have no medical benefit by the federal government. Um, so we are still kind of stuck with that. And that really hurts small businesses, especially, and these businesses that are in the industry. It uh, hurts their ability to advertise. It hurts their ability to hire more people. Um, and Massachusetts just luckily 10 years a little too late, but they just decoupled from that regulation. Have other states decoupled? Yes, many of which have d did so in the original legalization bill. So um, most, you know, a lot of the states that have um, adult use did decouple from 280 long, long ago. I think well, that's what Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin did too, actually. They consciously <laughs> decoupled. Yes, exactly. So Massachusetts just consciously decoupled. That's so good. That's I like the decoupling. Yeah, I like <laughs> I'll try to use that later on today. Uh-oh, um, don't tell your husband. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say with who. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, here we are again, break number two. Um, so we will be right back. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm talking today with Charlotte Cathro. Charlotte Cathro. Cathro LLC. Not CPA, but she is a CPA. Um, and we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with Charlotte Cathro of Cathro LLC. She is a CPA who lives in Florence and is my neighbor and was also recently on the cover of a magazine that came to my house, Northampton Living. Do you want to talk was. about that? Yeah, that was super fun. It was, it was great. I've been getting it for a little while, and it was nice to see our neighbors getting featured and it was nice to have the opportunity to be featured ourselves. Um, it was a really fun experience. And the pictures came out really nice. Yeah. The, everyone I worked with in the process was awesome. Good. Yeah. They're really sweet. Um, and uh, I liked reading about you and your family, your sweet family, your husband and your two boys. Yeah. Um, we have talked previously because you live next to Hill Institute. Um, so... My best friend Kate Cardoso and I had a little Hill Institute uh, quarrel in 2020. <laughs> yes. Which still hasn't died out totally, but I'll have to talk about that not on the air. You can yes. listen to the podcast of that on my <laughs> show on WRSI.com. In the rewind, right? Yeah, right. What would that March 2020, maybe April? Anyway, uh, we won't go back. We won't rewind. We won't decouple. No. <laughs> um, so... Charlotte, talk a little bit about your team. You know, do you have a team that you talk with that, you know, you mentioned lawyers and um, different people that you work with. And I have to imagine that all of the laws and regulations are constantly changing and evolving. And how do you stay on top of it? And how do you best help your clients? Um, are there go-to people? Are there resources in the community? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Accounts are always taught to go to the source first. So anytime something is issued by the IRS, um, that would be the first place to look, as well as the Massachusetts Department of Revenue. Um, so those, those are the things that I would keep on top of first. Um, after that, I have a network of people within the industry. Again, it's, it's lawyers. Um, Blake Mensing is an attorney in the cannabis industry um, that I have talked to for a long time and is 
we have a lot of the same clients. Um, I think the best way for an accountant to serve a client is to be kind of involved as part of their professional team. And that would include attorneys, maybe their financial advisor, really depending on the industry that they're in. Um, it might include their broker for insurance. Um, so I, I try to connect people with, um, I have a referral list of bookkeepers, payroll companies, um, and really have networked with the people that are raising their hand and saying, we're, we're serving the industry, which has, has grown over the years, but um, is still a smaller group of the, the population. So there's still a lot of banks that will not serve the industry. Um, and there's still a lot of, of other types of companies that won't. So once I get a contact with somebody that will, um, that really serves my clients best. And again, that's a non-accounting question that I'm asked all the time of how do I deal with this issue that I'm seeing? Um, and so having those contacts is really important. I have a network of, of people that I talk to um, on a regular basis that are either accountants in the industry or you know bookkeepers, different levels of, of serving the industry. Um, and just seeing what they're dealing with is, is helpful. You know, what are your clients dealing with? Obviously, confidentially not talking about specific clients unless we have them in common or, and are authorized to talk about them. Um, but I think that that helps us. This is a new industry. We're developing it. And so working through those issues as they come up um, so that you're not sort of isolated in a silo and, and not seeing what's happening. And so why do you think it is that that people are still reluctant to step up and take on cannabis-related businesses? Like, what is the biggest fear factor for professionals? I think, I mean, obviously federal illegality is is a major thing. This is still something that you could be, you know, if somebody wanted to make an example of you, at the worst, I could be considered money laundering or aiding and abetting. Um, you know, these are still federally illegal businesses, and what they are doing is still federally illegal. So how does that work in a practical matter when you have to file federal taxes? Are they paying more taxes because they're illegal? Are they not paying any federal taxes at all? Is it like a kind of shell game of like pseudo legal money laundering or how does it all work? So the IRS has a rule of we don't care where you got the money. It's taxable. Uh -huh. the, 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 the overarching rule is if you generated income from whatever the source, um, you have to report that income. And these businesses are paying more in federal taxes because of 280E, which I mentioned earlier. Um, because so they can't write off certain Because things. they can't write off a lot of their deductions that would be allowable in any other business. Um, so I think people are just trying to do their best and be almost over-compliant um, so that if they're getting an example made of them, it's only because of the cannabis thing. And that's really what I have said to people. Like the number one rule is don't break any other laws, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And we've seen, we've seen cannabis companies break payroll wage and hour laws, um, break, you know, other kinds of things, break um, rules around uh, fundraising and trying to get investors. You still have to follow those guidelines. You are not exempt from those things. The only thing that you're allowed to do is follow state regulations on what is legal for cannabis companies, and that may be illegal on a federal level. And is it all still cash, too? No, luckily it is not still cash. So this was, originally this was definitely a problem in the early days of Colorado and California, that we have horror stories of employees being sent to, to with, you know, backpacks full of cash to purchase things wholesale. That is unsafe. Um, it is unsafe to the employee. It is unsafe to the cash. 
as, as a minor issue, um, but it's unsafe to the, the public as well. If you, you know, if you're running around with cash, that's, it's unsafe. Uh, and so there have been banks that have done the due diligence and, and created a framework where companies can bank with them. There is still a smaller number of those. It's limited. Um, but now in Massachusetts, we have about 10 banks that have considered and have really set up these whole infrastructures. They have a lot of record keeping required. They have to file certain forms. Um, since it's still a legal activity, it gets sort of red flags all over the place. So they have to file all these due diligence forms. Um, but they're they're willing to do so. It's definitely more expensive to the client. They are charging fees, and that's really to offset all of this extra work that they're doing. Um, so it, it, until we have safe banking, there has been hopefully some movement on this, continually trying to get this passed so that every bank can bank cannabis industry money um, or federal legalization will occur um, so that this won't be a problem anymore. Is your industry talking about when that might happen? Is there a supposed timeline of we're thinking this, but not this, hopefully? It depends who you ask. Yeah. There, you know, there are people who are total optimists. I, I'm thinking of one lawyer in particular who has probably been telling people since the 70s, it's this year. Uh, <laughs> and I love you dearly, but it is not this year. Um, I, think it's, I think it's still a, way, a ways away. I don't see it. I don't see it happening anytime soon, at least in this administration, despite promises that have been made. And locally, we're seeing a lot of retail happening, specifically in Northampton and soon possibly in Florence. Correct, yes. Goodbye, Pizza Factory. Right, right. <laughs> and there's definitely been some concerns of how many can we sustain? And I would say that that is not the public's problem. Like, nobody wants somebody's business to go under, so I get it. But that's what happens. There's competition. How many places are there to buy alcohol in Northampton? Quite a lot. Um, and all of them seem to be doing all right. Uh, it's really our restaurants that we should be worried about and that can't seem to sustain in Northampton. Um, so if we have companies that are opening up, you know, I agree. We probably have too many at some point. Um, most of that has been that Northampton was welcoming. We waived our 3% host community agreement impact fee because we did not see any negative impact in the, in the town related to the cannabis industry opening up here. Um, so we'll see. I do think that some of them aren't going to survive, and that's how business is, unfortunately. I don't, I don't want that to happen, but that is how it works. When competition comes in, some of them will not be able to compete. And do you think a lot of them are hanging on waiting for social consumption or they were in the pipeline? And so this is what was going to happen five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, however long it's taken for them to actually get open. Yes, I think they were probably going to be more staggered. Um, but again, we still haven't reached capacity. You know, again, there's plenty of places to buy alcohol. There's plenty of places to buy anything else. How many clothing stores are there? How many coffee shops are there? And there's nobody, you know, picketing when a new coffee shop opens. Um, so, you know, again, the the market will will let its it will work itself out, um, and it's not really the public's job to do that, um, except with their feet and determining which stores they like. You've heard it here first. Shop where you want to, and it'll happen as it should, right? I mean, that's, that's commerce. That's how capitalism works. So absolutely. Um, all right. 
round three. Ding, ding, ding. We have to take another break. You've been listening to Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with Charlotte Cathro of Cathro LLC, a really wonderful CPA firm based out of Florence, Massachusetts. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Charlotte Cathro of Cathro LLC. We have been talking about a lot of things today, including her background, uh, her love of math, her accounting, cannabis industry. Um, and now I would love to talk about your other love, which yes. makes you really well-rounded, the furry, lovable animals and yes. Dakin. Yes. So will you tell us a little bit about why you fell into Dakin, how long you've been involved? Um, I know you just stepped down as the board president. Um, so yeah, tell us about Dakin. Yeah, absolutely. So when I moved to Western Mass, um, I had been serving on a board in the Boston area for a little while. And I realized as an accountant, uh, nonprofit boards really need accounting professionals. They need to help their help with their financial systems, with reviewing their 990. It's always sort of a sought after, um, you know, specialty to have on a board. Um, and so I looked up. You know, one of my big passions has been animal welfare for a really long time. Um, I absolutely love animals, and it has been a passion for me forever. Um, so I looked into what animal welfare organizations there were in the valley and kind of just sent a cold email to the executive director at the time, Leslie Harris, and said, hey, are you looking for a board member? It's like everyone's dream. <laughs> I hope I'm, I'm going to play this to all of the nonprofits that I know and be like, Charlotte, listen. Um, and so, of course, they, they interviewed me and quickly asked me to join the board, um, quickly asked me to become the treasurer of the board, because that's something that it's hard to avoid when you are the accountant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How can you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Especially then, when you send out a email saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm, I'm here. here, I'm interested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so became the treasurer. Then um, at the time, you know, the, the board president uh, position was open and, and transitioned into the president, recently transitioned out of the president after a while because it was time for, for new um, blood there. I am staying on the board right as of now. Um, and we're searching for a new executive director. So I certainly want to stay so that there's some continuity there. Um, and helping with that process. And I'm on the hiring committee and um, helping that. We're also um, starting the Pet Health Center, so providing additional veterinary services to the public, which is a huge need, has been a huge need, and became really even more exacerbated by the pandemic. Veterinary professionals are exhausted. They're overworked. A lot of people got their sort of pandemic puppies and, and kittens during um, that time. Guilty. Uh, yeah. Not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> or no pregnancy either in my household. So oh, well I am, done. I am not, winning on all fronts. Not guilty on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Held out. Uh, so that's a new program that we are expanding. We did provide some um, healthcare services in the past. We have a spay neuter clinic. We've been doing vaccine clinics. Um, we did provide some additional healthcare services, but now this is really formalizing that and expanding it so that we have more access for people, both for people who can afford it and can't get into their veterinary um, professional because of their you know, their huge workload, but also those who cannot afford it, we will be planning on um, providing additional options for people for payment. Um, and, you know, really, it's a need 
our our goal here is keeping animals in their homes. Um, this isn't, you know, a lot of the time we're thought of as just a shelter. We take homeless animals and give them homes. Well, that's not the only thing that we do. And in fact, it's it's changed over time that we really don't have overpopulation here in the Valley or in New England in general. Um, we have a huge amount of adopters in New England, um, but what we have is people that can't afford or don't know how to best care for their animal. So we wanna make sure that their animals are seeing vets on a regular basis or on heartworm preventative and have treatments for small things before they become big. Things like recurring ear infections, um, get, getting their nails clipped, a lot of breeds that need regular grooming. Um, those are the types of things, you know, horrible chihuahua teeth uh, that, that really need need cleaning. Small dogs in particular tend to have a lot of dental issues if you don't um, regularly clean them. Um, so those kind of things. Can you brush your... You can and should. You can and should. Um, I do brush my dog's teeth, and I'm very proud to, to say that. With um, human toothpaste? No, they have special dog toothpaste with like enzymes that clean their that help to clean their teeth. With a human toothbrush? Yes, you can use sort of a soft uh, human toothbrush. Yes. Got it. Yeah, just not my never. toothbrush. But yeah. <laughs> it's a toothbrush like, made oh, with human teeth. <laughs> a You're separate like, Wait a minute, one. <laughs> that looks similar to. Yeah. You know, if you're not liking your husband one day, yeah, exactly. you're like, <laughs> we're decoupling. That's it. That would um, be grounds for that. Yes. Yeah. Ew. Um, so do you have a lot of educational programs now at Dakin to sort of do what you're talking about, you know, sort of teaching pet owners about all of these things that you're talking about, whether it's teeth or nails or hair there's a lot of resources for that already. So really, you know, the the key to providing this is is really access. I, I don't know that it's a matter of just education. Um, it's not a matter of like, oh, I didn't know what I should do. It's more of, well, I couldn't get into my vet or I couldn't afford a vet. Um, because I think when people get an animal, they realize that that animal should see a veterinarian, just like you and I should go to the doctor regularly. Um, but it's the affordability and the access factor that is really holding people back. And so do you still have the two locations? We do. We have a location in Leverett. It has been closed for a little while. Um, we are determining what our best use of that facility will be. It is not as an animal shelter. Um, that location is very limited. It's not, it doesn't get a lot of traffic. It's also really small. Um, we only have four dog kennels there and they're, small, like you wouldn't want an animal there long-term. Um, so for a while we were using it to house additional animals, but all of our veterinary care is in the Springfield location as well. You could put only small dogs like chihuahuas <laughs> in the, the Leverett location. Yeah. Um, it also means that we have to staff that location. Um, and, you know, with, like everyone else, we have limited staff availability. Um, and so we need to, to keep them where the most action is, which is right now in Springfield. We definitely still continue to serve the greater Pioneer Valley, including down to Connecticut. We definitely are, are helping those that are in Franklin County, um, up to Greenfield, out to, to Amherst, the Leverett area. Um, so we're serving the population everywhere. It's just we are doing so out of Springfield. And so if someone needs help or suggestions um, with their animal or, you know, vaccines or even to maybe... 
give it up for adoption or they can't handle it? What is the way that they interact with Dakin? The best thing to do would be to look at our website. Most of our um, our programs are done through appointment, and that was something new during the pandemic. And we found that it really works for us. Um, it works for the public that they are they have a scheduled time to come in. And sometimes we were getting really busy on the weekends, and you know the the user experience was not fantastic. So ideally, now that we're sort of appointment only, we've actually maintained that because we saw that it worked so well. And it's something that we didn't even consider would be an option before the pandemic. And as we saw it in practice, it really helps to have things be by appointment. Um, it helps that there aren't you know, a, a lot of sort of walk through where the animals are. It reduces the stress for them. Um, and it also just makes sure that we can provide the best experience for the user as well and really have dedicated time for them. And so what are you looking for in terms of an executive director? Yeah, I mean, we're looking for somebody that really fits our culture and that has the vision in mind for Dakin. Um, you know, we want to make sure that this person fits what we're, what our plans are for the future. A lot of what we are doing is going to need some strategic plan. We have, as I mentioned, a really changing animal welfare landscape. We are changing from that put homeless animals into homes to help animals stay in their homes. And that's really a change. Um, and so somebody that understands that um, and really, you know, obviously some sort of nonprofit or business experience that they can bring to the table. Fundraising, we're a nonprofit. You know, you have to have fundraising experience and be able to make sure that the, the, the organization can sustain itself. Are you looking more for a dog person or a cat person? <laughs> Ideally, all of the above. <laughs> uh, a farmer, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, great. Well, it's just been lovely to hang out with you and talk to you. I really appreciate you coming on and... Um, just you being in our community, there's just such a wealth of knowledge for you. And, and I feel like we'll, we'll continue to see more um, from you in the future as the whole cannabis conversation evolves. And um, I can't wait to see what, what you do in the future. Thank you so much again for having me. This yeah. was really fun. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And thank you to our sponsors, one of them being Greenfield Savings Bank, my employer, who's been around for 153 years. I did that math the other day. Um, we have 10 branches in Franklin and Hampshire County. We are a mutual financial institution. We are not yet taking cannabis money, but <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> One I, day. I have been twisting your arm a little bit. I too. <laughs> fingers crossed. We'll just have to have you meet John Holland so you can twist some other arms. Um, anyways, and Business West, George O'Brien. I was thinking about George the other day and how I should just drop in on him in Springfield and say hi. Business West is wonderful, a really amazing business publication that we are so lucky to have in our region. All three of us in the room are 40 under 40 alums. Um, dun, 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 dun. So Three over 40 now. Yes, 43 I am. We won't talk about your ages, I won't ask. But anyways, thank you so much, Tara Brewster, Western Mass Business Show with Charlotte Cathro today from Cathro LLC. 